0: Good morning and welcome again to Church of the Cross. Uh, my name is Peter, I'm one of the priests here. I want to say thank you to Sarah again for her wonderful children's lesson about the book of Daniel. Um, the story that we heard read by Brian Garwood just not too long ago is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And to my mind, the story of Daniel and the lions, then, is one of the quintessential Old Testament Bible stories. It's a crackerjack example of what we think of, I think, when we think of Bible stories, right there with David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, Noah and the ark. In a lot of ways, this story has it all, doesn't it? There's court intrigue. There's a manipulated king. There's ferocious lions the heroes kind of fall from favor and this dramatic reversal miraculously at the hands of God. It has it all. There's even a display of justice that to our modern ears seems wildly out of proportion. So it's a perfect Old Testament story in a lot of ways. It has it all. If you spend any time in Christian circles, especially as a child, you probably know this story quite well. And I want to encourage you, if you're a child and you're watching this or your parents are watching it while you're alongside, I would love to see, I would encourage you draw a picture of a pit, a den with full of scary lions. I would love to see that if your parents can take a photo and send it to me. But we're all kind of familiar with it if we spend any time around the Bible, around church. We know the story's beats. And that familiarity can actually breed a kind of like distance from the story. We think we know it, and we know what it has to say. So this morning, I want to hope, I hope that we can kind of push beyond that familiarity um, and hear this passage, this story of Daniel and the lion's then freshly as the word of the Lord for us today with fresh instructions, a fresh call for us as the people of God here and now. And I want to organize our short time this morning around two particular headings, right? First, devotion and deliverance. And second, the pit and the promises of God. So devotion and deliverance and the pit and the promises of God. I think there's strong, a litter of work there for us. But first, devotion and deliverance. While the title of the story and focus set our, sets our focus on Daniel, and he's certainly the main character, in a lot of ways, Darius is also this very vivid character in the story, the, the ruler of Persia. He's vividly drawn throughout the chapter of chapter 6. And he's comedic, even. He's kind of a figure of fun. A number of commentators have pointed to the characterization of him as satirical, that Daniel 6 is kind of poking fun at him, as well as other rulers. One place that this comes forward, or comes out in, is in his kind of engagement around this edict, right? Darius, this all-powerful king, stretching his power, feeling himself a little bit, becomes ensnared by his own edict. It's emphasized a couple of times by he himself that the law of the Persians and Medes cannot be revoked, can't be changed once it's been written. And so Darius, this king kind of inflamed by the flattery of the people around him, this flattering idea of a law, Kind of is like, yeah, maybe I am semi-divine, maybe people should worship me, and he becomes entrapped in that, right? He can't change it, even though it means the death, the potential death of one of his treasured servants. This assumption of divine status by various rulers is, of course, a theme in the book of Daniel. We've seen it in the weeks past, the ways that earthly powers so often come to claim and exert for themselves power that's not theirs. Just last week, we spoke of Belshazzar and the kind of self-rule that we're all prone to as human beings, right? He is a ruler, a king, kind of particularly prone to it, but the fact of the matter is, is we're all prone to this kind of grasping and this kind of exerting of our personal autonomy in an unfettered way, over and against God, over and against the people around us. And the irony, of course, of this passage, as I said, is that Darius, in doing so, traps himself. As he exerts himself in this way as a semi-divine figure, he becomes constrained. He can't get out of it after a while. And the same thing happens to us. Our grasping after self-rule, our devotion to personal freedom, autonomy apart from God, can often lead to the same place, our own entrapment. How often do the things we devote ourselves to, believing them to make us secure, independent, free... In fact, undermine our freedom, undermine our flourishing. They come to constrain and inhibit the full life for which we are made. This is, I think, one of the areas where the basic teachings of Jesus rub up against a particular lie or story of our culture, our world. Jesus teaches if you want to gain your life, you must be willing to lose it, to give it up. And the world teaches that the avenue of freedom, the avenue to freedom, is through throwing off constraint, devoting ourselves to unfettered self-rule. It's the pursuit of our individual desires or appetites. And the results of this are catastrophic in communities around us and in our own lives. Because this is the basic arithmetic of idolatry and addiction. The things we pursue to make us feel powerful or free from pain, they end up trapping us, requiring more and more of us more and more slavish devotion. In her collection of essays devoted to 1960s bohemian life in San Francisco, Joan Didion got at this truth. She titled this collection of essays, Slouching Toward Bethlehem. It's a reference to this poem by W.B. Yeats. And the essays are a picture of kind of hedonistic excess, the ways that people in this unfettered kind of way pursued their bliss, their desires and appetites. And the picture that Didion kind of draws in this situation, in this community, in this life, is one of profound aimlessness, of lives that are trapped, people that are distinctly not free or liberated. It's a picture of lives malformed by the unrestrained pursuit of their own desires, people diminished by their own misplaced devotion. Devote yourself to your own way, to your own self-rule, And it will equal your imprisonment. This is the inevitable arithmetic of idolatry, of addiction. In our passage, in further ironic contrast, stands the figure of Daniel over against the figure of Darius. Daniel, of course, ends up in the den full of hungry lions. But in a profound way, he is, throughout the story, the most free character where other characters are diminished, slouching toward their own rule. Darius trapped by his own edict, the conniving officials seeking to make themselves secure by oppressing Daniel, actually conspiring their own destruction. In contrast to these figures, Daniel is a picture of someone who is wholly secure in a remarkably insecure situation. I'm struck by verse 10 in particular, where in very matter-of-fact terms, knowing that this edict has been passed, knowing the danger that it holds, Daniel continues in his normal, everyday practice, devoted to prayer before God. He's not flustered. He's not cowed in any sort of way. One of the qualities of Jesus' life that I most admire, that I most long after for myself is the way that Jesus so freely lives for an audience of one. There is an absolute clarity in who Jesus seeks to please with his words, his actions, in his life. He is, in a way, remarkably uncomplicated. He acts with an an undivided heart. There's no mixture, no conflated vision of whose perspective matters most. He simply says, I do what my Father does. I do what the Father asks of me. From his childhood about the Father's business and baptism through to his death and post-resurrection life, Jesus is singularly devoted to the Father. And so he's free. He's not flustered or hurried. He's not cowed or insecure, rendered insecure by the world around him. If the other characters in Daniel 6, the satraps, the officials, Darius, are aimless, are trapped, securing themselves. Daniel's life is marked by a similar devotion to Jesus, to God, and an anticipation of God's deliverance. In verse 10, notice the direction to which Daniel orients himself in prayer. To Jerusalem, to the temple, to the expectation of God's deliverance from exile, to his restoration, Even as Daniel is attentive to the well-being of the city around him in a remarkable way, right? He's serving and serving with excellence. There is this orientation, this inner posture toward his home with Yahweh. Three times a day in this devoted fashion, Daniel is putting himself in position to remind himself of his true home and the deliverance for which he longs. He longs for something that the empire around him, as great and powerful as it is, cannot provide. The ancient church father, John Chrysostom, in speaking on this passage, describes Daniel as looking for the glory of God, oriented toward it, anticipating it, more than his own well-being. That is what he longs to see. It's interesting, in verses 10 and 11, the phrases that are used to describe Daniel's habit of prayer have with them both this kind of liturgical quality. It seems that there was some scripted fashion in which he prayed based on some of the phrases and terms that are used, but also has this kind of pouring out of one's heart fashion as well, this petition, this casting yourself before the grace of God. There's a structured and spontaneous component, we might say. In his remarkable book, Christian Proficiency, the Anglican author Martin Thornton has described how maturity in Christ, proficiency in the way of Christ, involves both these features of prayer, the structured, organized kind of prayer of liturgical life, as well as this spontaneous humbling ourselves, offering up our cares and concerns, the cares and concerns of each day to the Lord and trusting ourselves to his grace. Perhaps you find one of those easier than the other, and perhaps an invitation today is to grow in the one where you're weaker. Dennis Ockholm, a writer, a theologian in our diocese, has written a book called Monk Habits for Everyday People. And he suggests that in the same way that we might go about our day eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner without making a plan to, right? Like you don't put eat lunch on your to-do list unless you, lest you forget. You just assume it's part of your necessary, sustained, good functioning. He suggests that Christians might approach structured time of prayer, both spontaneous and with written prayers, as acts of devotion necessary for our good functioning in the world, our faithful sustenance in Christ. So perhaps there's an invitation to walk in a similar style of devotion as Daniel demonstrates here. We live in a great city, and we live in the middle of a powerful nation in many ways, the greatest luxury society the world has ever known. We're provided with so much. There's so much available to us. But the deliverance that we long after, that we need, the life that we seek, is something that can only come from the hand of God. There's something more than what any leader, any power in creation can provide us. Something more for which we long and for which we have need. This seems especially important in this time. Whatever the outcome of the election, as important as that is, whenever the pandemic we are laboring under is resolved, as important as that is, we all carry the need for which God alone can offer salvation. God alone can offer deliverance. One of the most remarkable moments in Daniel 6, I think, is, comes in verse 16. Daniel's in the den. It's about to be sealed up. And the friendly but foolish ruler Darius calls out, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May the one to whom you are most deeply devoted deliver you. It's a remarkable admission. Because Darius recognizes in that moment for all his power, all his pretensions, he cannot provide what Daniel needs, the deliverance he needs, the rescue he needs. There is a deliverance, a rescue that the state, the powers of this world, for all their false promise and pretension, cannot provide you. Restoration, deliverance, true home, these are the province of the living God and the living God alone. And it is precisely Daniel's trust in the living God, trust and devotion to him, expecting Deliverance from him that preserves him through his trial. His devotion to God secures his freedom in the midst of this dangerous and insecure situation. It leads to his deliverance. So the basic encouragement is to devote yourself to God. Orient yourself toward the hope that he alone can provide. Orient yourself toward the revealing of his glory and receive the same thing. I don't know what that form, what form that deliverance will take in your situation, the particulars of what you're suffering, laboring under, encountering, the particular insecurities. But God's deliverance will be made known as you devote yourself to him, as you entrust yourself to him, as you look for what only he can provide. So that's devotion and deliverance. And just in closing, I want to take a look at the pit and the promises of God. The story is called Daniel and the Lion's Den. But the idea of a pit, a hole in the ground in which Daniel is sealed up, is more specific and probably more accurate to the story. He descends into the earth. He's forced there. And this idea of a pit, alongside the the language of lions themselves, in the Bible, this language carries with it more than just the connotation of physical danger alone. The language of the pit is associated with hell itself, this place of condemnation and separation from God. You think of Sheol or Gehenna, the place of death in this full and final way. And the language of lions is this consistent picture of the powers, the enemies of the people of God through the Psalms and into the New Testament. Satan is described, the great enemy of the people of God portrayed as a lion seeking to devour. In our liturgy on the front cover of the booklet and somewhere online there is the painting by Peter Paul Rubens, the depiction of this scene in Daniel 6. One of the kind of remarkable features of that painting is the lifelike rendering of the lions. They're intimidating. They look powerful. And a few of them, in fact, are looking directly at the viewer. As you look at the painting, you are kind of brought in to share in the same situation as Daniel through the picture of these lions. They're looking at you, ready to set themselves upon you. I think there's a reminder here in this art that you and I are in the place of danger. We are, just in the course of our lives, heavily beset by challenges, by the temptations of this life. The burdens of care and anxiety, the appetites of our flesh, our sinful desire that the Apostle Paul talks about separated, struggling in so many different ways, being forced down. And perhaps this morning, as you watch this from your home, you have a particular sense of being in the pit, right? Cut off from God in some way, beset from without or within. It's very acute for you. And perhaps to use the language we began with, you have a sense that you've devoted yourself to the wrong sort of things. Your life has been oriented toward things that promised release, promised freedom, but now you're trapped. You're in the pit, and you cannot make it out on your own. Well, Daniel 6 is good news for people in the pit. The story of Daniel here is one of tremendous promise. Because the promise of this story is that the power of God, the promises of God, extend to the very depths of wherever it is that we find ourselves. Wherever it is, we have set ourselves even. Daniel here is sealed up with the lions. He's in the earth. And yet God's deliverance extends even there to such a place. Of course, Daniel is not the last one to be sealed up in this way. Jesus himself from the cross is sealed in the earth for three days, in the pit of death. And yet, thereto, the power of God is active, bringing this most free, most innocent man to life, delivering him and us all from the sting of death, the fear of the powers of the world. The promises of God extend to the depths of whatever pit you find yourself in today. The promises of God, of course, are not alone for Jesus or for special people like Daniel. And in this story, we get a glimpse of the full cosmic promise of God that is in Jesus Christ. The lions stilled before Daniel are a picture of the kingdom of Christ, the peace that it brings, creation restored where the wolf and the lamb lay down together. And in the words of Darius that conclude Daniel 6, the words of this hapless king, we see too that the promise of God is that the nations, the powers of this world, will one day bow before the true king. will acknowledge their limitations and acknowledge him as the living God. All creation, all powers, will come under his rule, the rule of Christ. And that glimpse, that glimpse of the cosmic and full scale of the promises of God, provides us assurance that in our lives, in the particular things that we are beset with, it assures us that the promises of God there, too, will find expression. In the pit where you are, He will be shown faithful. The power of God will be known in our lives, the kingdom of God over all, in and among us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray for us this morning. Gracious and Almighty God, we confess before you that we are weak and frail, and we are prone to wander. We're prone to seek our deliverance from things that cannot deliver us. We are prone to devote ourselves to things that make false promises, and we're so easily entrapped or stuck there, O Lord. But your promises are sure and true, Even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our idolatries and addictions, O God, your promises are true and strong, and your deliverance is sure. And so I ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us, as the people of God, struggling, beaten down perhaps, you would give us a taste, a glimpse of your deliverance, of your rescue at work right where we are, O Lord such that we would be encouraged to walk faithfully, to orient ourselves toward you and your glory, to anticipate the deliverance that you alone can bring, such that you would preserve us, O God. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.